Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while, right here on the Jam Session Podcast. Sponsored, as always, by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, dog? I, of course, would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren, and this is Jam Session, the podcast, version 310, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. And we will try to do that for you as we record this on a Sunday without Cowboys football, enjoying their bye week, sitting at 6-2, and two. of course, going on the road next week to take on the Green Bay Packers, then on the road the week after that to take on the Minnesota Vikings, and that will conclude their trip through the NFC North. And we've got some fun things to get into. Uh, some interesting things. Jacques got stuck in the World Series and didn't even mean to. So <laughs> that'll be kind of a fun story. A wild day over the weekend in college football and a lot of thoughts there as well. But before we jump into this, many of you know, greening law is who you call. If you get in one of those car accidents where a semi-truck just plows through something and smashes into you, or like in my case, a car basically ran a red light and I was like, what are you doing? Or you were injured on the premises of a business, you need to make that call to greening law because you very well may have a case. And I can tell you this from experience, there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that I don't even know if you realize the process that you go through trying to get back to normal. Greening law is a master of that. This is what they do. Give them a call and let them go to bat for you. Nah, man, it's um, it's the reason why we say whenever you have an issue, just pick up the phone, give them a call, and say, hey, here's my situation. Because what Greening Law does and what they've done for Matt is they kind of shine a beacon on your on your situation. They walk you through what Matt has told you. It's kind of this kind of complicated, tedious process with a bunch of questions, a bunch of ins and outs. Where they spring, they put a light on all of it, show you where to go, how to walk, set up appointments. It's the whole bottle. And so that, to me, is why, hey, the smartest thing to do if you're ever in a situation like this is pick up the phone and give Greening Law a call. That's the way to do it, man. That consultation's free, too. I mean, And, again, that's important because you may not know if you have a case. That's okay. They'll tell you. 972-934-8900. 972-934-8900. It's Robert Greening. Call him now. Offices, Dallas, Texas. So the Cowboys enjoy this bye week, and I thought this was interesting on the Dallas Morning News. Because you look at this, and, and generally speaking, you get eight games in. You used to be halfway. Technically, it's not exactly halfway because there's nine games left, but there's no halfway point anymore. You're either ha almost halfway or a little bit over halfway, which they will be after playing the Packers. But it's interesting when you look back at the first 
half of the season. And some of the things that the Cowboys and the storylines, you know, you go back and, and it's, it might be hard to remember this, but the thumb injury that Dak Prescott sustained that first game of the year, going all the way back to Tampa, when they lose 19 to three and the offense just looks so God awful. And I remember doing the podcast afterwards that night and you and I were both looking at this going, my God, this is going to be, I mean, we're six and two at the bye. I was sitting here going, will we win another game? Will they be 0 and eight? Maybe they can be two and six at the bye. Now it wasn't quite like that, but uh, you know, again, I thought that they would have a losing record this season. So clearly it looks like I'm going to be wrong about that. Mm. And to me, it was just the the first game just kind of solidified my thought process. Although the interesting thing about it is the reason I thought that they would be under 500 is what I thought their offense would be trash. And I, but I didn't know that their defense, I thought their defense would be okay. And I didn't really give much thought to specialties. Yeah, they'd be, you know, the usual run of the mill special mm-hmm. teams. Uh, the reason that they're so much better than we thought is uh, Cooper Rush is probably better than we thought. The defense is a hell of a lot better than we thought. And you can say what you want to, uh, those of you out there in Twitter land and in the uh, podcast universe. The special teams have been elite um, between the kickoffs, the punter, the field goal execution, the punt returner, the coverage. They've been elite. And you can win with two out of three elite categories in the NFL. Yeah, man. I mean, it, it's. It's interesting when you look back at that because you mentioned it. I mean, nobody knew Cooper Rush was going to do this. We thought, okay, he came in, knocked off the Vikings last year. He was really good. And that's going to be one of those stories as we go throughout the course of this NFL season. And whatever ends up being the Cowboys' standpoint, whether they can overcome the Eagles and get the division, making the playoffs as a wild card, what have you, you're going to have to go back and look at that 4-1 and stretch that Cooper Rush had when he came in and won his first five starts, his first five career starts, won his first four this season before they finally lost one. No one saw this coming with Cooper Rush. I mean, you talk about being exactly what you need a backup quarterback to be. That we, we, we'll, Who knows what this season will turn into, but that's going to be one of those things you look back and go, man, Cooper Rush is a huge part of the reason why the Cowboys have an opportunity to do anything this year. Now, Cooper Rush was fantastic when he played. Now, again, he's a backup quarterback. So the more he played, the more he seemed to get a little bit exposed for what he could do. But the reality is you don't expect your backup quarterback to play five games. Uh, really, if you can get three out of them and go two and one you or one and two, you're like, okay, great. You kept us in the hunt. But for him to go four and one, phenomenal, man. It is phenomenal. And, you know, you look at it, and we had talked about this in the offseason. We had talked about this last year, and it feels like the Cowboys have finally figured out how to use Tony Pollard. And it's unfortunate that they are figuring this out in the final year of his contract with Dallas, and we'll see what happens in the offseason. I mean, honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if some team just comes out of nowhere and is convinced that they'll use Tony Pollard better and just money whips him. And Dallas doesn't have Pollard or Zeke next year at running back. We'll see. But so far this year, it really feels like they have found a way to start using Pollard more without overextending him and have really found and utilized him better than they ever have in his previous three seasons here in Dallas. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Tony Pollard's a really interesting case. Uh, And we'll talk about it. uh, Maybe we'll, we'll have this debate on air next week. I had a good conversation with Chill the other day. Y'all know that's one of my best friends. But uh, we, were, we were talking a lot of football. And he was kind of like adamant. Nah, I would never pay Tony Pollard. Like, I'd never franchise him. Because I was like, well, you know, if you want to keep him, 
You can keep him for nine million and franchise him. Yeah, I'd never franchise him. I'd give him six or seven million a year and tell him take it, leave it, whatever. And I go, yeah, maybe that's that, that's not a bad number. But I was looking it up, man. And here's the interesting part: Tony Pollard will be 26 next April, so he'll be 26 during the season. Yeah. Running backs, as we know, tend to fall off a cliff at 28. He's a speed guy and a big play guy. And so he may he may fall off the moment he loses a little bit of that explosion. And so I like Tony Pollard. I think he's he's uh, there's not really many big play running backs in the league. And so I would be trying to give him even a four year deal just to spread it out over three, knowing that he's not going to play the fourth probably. But I try to keep him because he has a unique skill set. Um, and the skill set is I break big plays. Yeah. And no, I'm serious. Like there's just not a lot of guys who do that. You can find. Guys who who give you a solid job, run between the tackles. But, you know, my boy would say running backs are like, now running backs are like two guards in the NBA. You can you can find them anywhere. And that's true. You can't find guys with big playability anywhere in the NFL. And that, to me, is what makes Pollard special. That's what makes him different than all the other cats. Because every time you put the ball in his hands a certain number of times, bro, he's gone. Yeah, and, and – I don't disagree, and that's obvious, you know, and you look at this when you look at what they've done. Zeke has 115 touches so far this season. He's averaging 4.1 yards a touch. Tony Pollard has 93 touches this year and is averaging almost seven yards a touch. And they've really found a way to use him. And it's obvious the Cowboys do not feel this is a guy who can do the 20 to 25 touches a game type thing. It's obvious. For whatever reason, they feel they have found the sweet spot for him. Bro, it ain't no, for whatever reason, they have found a sweet spot for him. There's no, they don't think he can he can carry a full load. Just go look back at the game the other day. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal, right? Yeah. He breaks off a 54-yard touchdown run that's sensational, right? Did he carry the ball again in that game, bro? No, sir. How come he didn't carry the ball anymore, man? I mean, at one point, they decided that they were up and we're going to use somebody else for the tough yardage at the end of the game. But you also, I, I think that you want that dude that has that burst where you're not tiring him out. No, nah, bro. He told Skip Pete, I'm done. I can't go. I'm, I got nothing left. The 54-yarder took it all out of me. And I'm not saying that as, a, as like a crack on he's soft or this or that. He's just like, I got nothing left. Like, I want to give you what I got. And what I got is nothing. You know, you can have a Porsche, bro. If it ain't got no gas, it ain't going nowhere. I don't care how good it looks, how shiny it is, yeah. how good the rims look. If it ain't got no gas, it ain't going nowhere. And so, to me, that was kind of like the perfect example of, like, there's Tony Pollard. Yeah. Sensational touchdown run. He wants to give you more, but he's like, I got nothing left to give, my brother. See, and that's where I think, like, if you tag them, when, when you start talking about running back salaries and you get up into the $9 million range, you know, just looking at contracts this year, you got Saquon's at $8 million, Leonard Fournette's $7 million, James Connors at $7 million. You know, Austin Eckler, who's a really interesting guy because he is similar in his burst ability, but he gets a lot more touches than Pollard. He's $6.1 million. You're not going to pay him like you would a, a Henry, a Chubb, a Dalvin Cook, what have you, a, a Christian no. McCaffrey type guy. So I don't know where the sweet spot is for Tony Pollard. And, and we'll see what happens as this thing moves forward. Because even if you sign him, 
Let's say that they sign Tony Pollard and they get him, let's just call it for $8 million in, in the range of Leonard Fournette, Saquon Barkley. You're obviously moving on from Zeke unless he's just totally willing to restructure his contract and, and take a massively lower number. You still have to have somebody that can, almost like how the Saints do Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara, you, you got to have like that bigger, like that those gross yeah. yards. You have to have that back. Um, this is just my opinion, not based on uh, conversations. I, I don't think – I think Zeke will take, you know, I think he will take the big shave and uh, be a, you know, three or four million. Whatever that respectable number is, Yeah, I think he will He will take that because he's like, okay, I've made all my money. I'm about winning now. Um, there ain't no market for running backs, especially running backs with the age that I have. And so you might as well stay somewhere where you got sweat equity, where they like you, they love you, they respect you. You have influence in the locker room, and as long, and the the key is a a respectable number, a number where I don't have to be embarrassed. That's not a big number; it's yeah. just whatever whatever the number is. I think he would prefer to have that as opposed to going somewhere else because he's, you know, he's probably doesn't even have that many years left. Yeah, and that makes sense. And again, you know, when he signed that contract a few years ago, we were talking about it when we were doing the radio show. Everybody, oh, I can't believe they signed him for this long. It was always with the idea. I, I don't think anybody thought he was getting to the final two years of that contract. Now it's becoming obvious he's not going to get to the final three years of that contract because they can walk away from him after this season, and it's an $11.8 million dead cap hit, which you could spread out over a couple of years to eat that if you wanted to. But like you're talking about, if he agrees to restructure the contract, you can move some of those things around and it'll it'll be even more beneficial. And then maybe it's okay, we will hold on to you for the next three years, but we're going to lower that number drastically because you're talking about a guy right now that's got a, almost a $17 million cap hit for 23, 14 and 24 and 25 and 17 and 2025. He was never going to see those last two years. So now it's just how do we restructure this to make this work? And if that happens... That'll be really, really interesting, man, because they can figure out a way to keep both Pollard and Zeke, and they kind of do the roles that they're doing right now. This is a formidable running game that's been very successful so far this year. No, I think um, – I don't even know that he's got three years. And and y'all know I'm a Zeke guy. I just think the pounding that he's taken, uh, you know, he's, he's much, much closer to the end than the beginning. But I think there's a really cool role for him. Uh, and – I don't really think he'll have any problem accepting it, really. And here's why. Did you did you guys watch him during the game the other day? That dude was as as involved as yeah. you know, we give you know, when Dak was out, we gave Dak a lot of props. Look at him, he's on the sideline, he's engaged, he's talking to Cooper Rush, he's you know, he's clearly engaged in the game. He's cheering his guys on, he's fist pumping, he's chest bumping guys. And that was all cool for Dak. Look at the leadership. Zeke did the exact same thing, bro. Yeah. He got the headset on. He's listening to the plays. He's congratulating people. He's, and this is how I judge it. Uh, and I'm gonna give you a, an, a, an example I saw up close. And it's not a knock on a dude. It's just what. It, it's just the example. Right. When Zeke, when Tony Pollard came off, maybe even after that 18 yard touchdown, the look on Zeke's face when he hugged him, dude, that was like this, my boy, joy. There was no. <laughs> Let me make sure the cameras make sure I, they see me hugging. No, nah, he was genuinely happy for his guy. And I'm just saying, you can get caught up in your own thing that you lose sight of the team. So I'm at Jackson State yesterday at the game, 
and uh, one of their valuable players muffed a punt. Other team recovered, went in for a touchdown, makes the score 21-14. They go back down the field, and they're scoring, and this guy is on the sideline, eyes red, you know, very disappointed in himself, mm. teared up. Like, bro, the team has just scored a touchdown and went up 28-14. It's not about you right now. Yeah. You you got to have your moment. I mean, yeah, I'm going to give you that. You muffed that punt. It's a big play. You can have, you know, a couple plays to get yourself back together. But, dude, we're already on to the next series. You got to get your head back in the game. It can't be about you. It's still about the team. And while he's a much younger guy, it's the principle is the same. Like if you, it's it's about the team at, at you know, until it's not. Yeah, and that makes sense. And it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Cowboys approach that. I mean, I, I was just looking at this. You look at some of those those number two type backs, and like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb, for instance, in Cleveland. It's obvious Nick Chubb's the guy. Kareem Hunt's still making six million dollars a year. You look at, and Mark Ingram is, a, is an interesting example of this here because Kamara is making a ton of money. He's up there near Zeke, but Mark Ingram, who is older than Zeke is, there's no doubt about that, and he's got a lot of wear and tear, but he fits what they want to do, and he plays that role for them. Mark Ingram's making $2.5 million a year. So I, I wonder if they look at that and they say, okay, for the running back position, we're, will, we're willing to have this money tied into the running back position and... Seven million of it goes to Pollard, and three million of it goes to Zeke. Whatever the case may be, I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's 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 just about how much you want to spend, there. right? And right. I think they'll just. I mean, I think they'll come to Zeke with a. Here's a number we got, man. Uh, this is what we got. We hope you take it. You know, it's up to you. Yeah, and if you don't, good luck somewhere else. Because I, I, I mean, you you have to look at Zeke and know. I don't know who else is in a hurry to run and sign this dude who's going to be. 28 years old by the time the next season rolls around and a guy who has you know fairly or unfairly just kind of become what he is at this point in his career I don't know there's a lot of teams wanting to throw some money at a back like that no I mean you know he could again man and there's a thousand different examples it's about sweat equity when you got sweat equity with a team and a fan base you get much treated much differently than when you go somewhere else and you're just a free agent we brought in, even though you got history. It's like, what have you done for us now? Yeah. You know, 1,600 yards as a rookie don't mean shit around here because we're trying to win now. We don't care what you did in Dallas. And, you know, the great example of that is who? It's Eddie George when he came from the Titans to the Cowboys. And it was like, dude, don't nobody here. And, yeah. You know, the, the reaction was pretty much from a fan perspective. Don't nobody care about all the stuff you did in Tennessee, man. All we know is you look old and slow. <laughs> yeah, and, and ultimately he got benched and you know the only reason he came and it's an interesting comparison to Zeke is because what the Tennessee Titans didn't give him that respectable number in his mind and he was like if you're going to pay me 2.1 that's BS money I might as well go to Dallas and take 2.1 but the reality is looking back should have kept the 2.1 in Tennessee yeah you would imagine so so we'll see I mean obviously that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit as you look into the offseason and how this is going to go the other thing that really kind of jumps out it, it that jumps out for you and then obviously the defense this year that we knew was going to be really really good it's better than I think we could have even have imagined yeah they've been getting gashed in the run game and they struggled against the Bears and you wonder can they work something out with that in the bye week they make the move for Hankins to get that huge big body in the middle to potentially help like that with with that but you're still talking about a defense they have Trayvon Diggs 
who continues to get his hand, this is going to sound great, continues to get his hand on balls. And a guy that has, he, I don't know how many people realize this. We, we knew he wasn't going to come out and have the type of season where he's like, oh, I'm going to have 11 interceptions again. He's got three. He leads the NFL and passes defended with 12. And then you've got Micah Parsons, who has eight sacks in eight games and is a half sack away from the NFL lead. And that has a ton of pressures. And we talked about this coming into the season. They've got guys who make plays at all three levels. And not just that, they've got some of the best guys making the plays at all three levels of this defense. True that. And their leader, their superstar, is uh, the most relentless player in the NFL. Mm. And uh, when your when your best player plays like that, you had I mean number one it's infectious and number two nobody I mean nobody has any choice but to play like that because he's um, pulling them along with him. I mean you can push people or you can pull people, and he's pulling them along with him. He's not pushing and like hey come on I got you. No, he's like let me show you the way, and he's pulling them like that. And there's a reason why they play the way they do. Um, I think I said that there was a sweep last week, and I thought it was perfectly blocked when the running back came around the corner. And I was like, man, they're outnumbered. Ah, this looks like a big one. And, dude, that thing turned into like a one-yard game because it was like seven dudes there right as he turned it up. And I was like, wow. And to me, that's the Micah effect. It is indeed, man. You, again, Micah Parsons, eight sacks, nine tackles for a loss, which is third in the NFL, 14 quarterback hits. I mean, he's just everywhere. The guy is unbelievable. And you sit there and you go because you look at some of these other dudes who are around the league that are up there with him. And we know they're all really good. I mean, you look at like the Nick Bosa's of the world, Miles Garrett and all those types of guys. And Micah, Micah's 23 years old. Everybody else that's above him is 25, 27, been in the league for a few years. I mean, Micah just comes into the league and immediately has been doing this. And he hasn't even hit his prime yet. I mean, I think it's um, – somebody told me the other day, it's clear he's on the chase for a gold jacket. I mean, my – no doubt, dude. But, I mean, you know, like, you know, some people come in chasing money. Some people come in to chase Super Bowls. Some people come in to just chase the pension. Can I get four years vested so I can get some insurance yeah. and, and retirement benefits? And then some people – Emmitt Smith was one. He showed up chasing the gold jacket. doesn't mean you get it. But he showed up chasing it. That's why he wrote down his list of goals as a rookie was become the NFL's all-time leading rusher. I mean, if you're going to do that, then you're going to be a Hall of Famer. No doubt, yeah. So, Micah, to me, man, he's chasing that gold jacket. And people like that have a whole different mentality and a whole different level. And it's, uh, you know, it can seem really weird, the driven, fanatical nature of those people because they're so locked in and focused. So I can tell you something else as we transition now. we got to take this trip around the block. That The Cowboys at 6-2, and two, the Packers, the Vikings on the way. We'll, we'll see where they're sitting, but they are poised. And we've talked about this many, many times so far this season. There's not an elite team out there this year. It, it, the Cowboys have just as good a chance to make a run as anybody else. We'll see if they can get that done. But one thing you guys need to do, jump online. Go to bruisebiltong.com. B-R-U-S-B-I-L-T-O-N-G, bruisebiltong.com. And you're going to find yourself with some options here when you go to bruisebiltong.com. Biltong is like beef jerky, but it isn't. It's better. And if you like beef jerky, you're going to absolutely love Biltong. It's a South African air-dried meat 
we've been telling you about this for a while because this is one of those things this is a I'd never had Bill Tong in my life until whenever last year sometime when they came on as one of our sponsors and the first time I had it I was like holy crap like how do you ever go back to beef jerky once you've had Bruce Bill because it's oh. it's so much better I was gonna say it's pretty simple you don't <laughs> that's very true you stick with the butt strips and leave it at that Yes, yes, I said butt strips. Why? Because that's where they, they slice the meat from, from, usually from that part of the animal. Then they dry it out, and it's a strips. And so it, I call it tasty, delicious butt strips. And uh, you know, it's kind of a juicy thing. I mean, we're talking about jerky-ish yeah. substance, but that's what it is, man. It's kind of succulent, kind of savory, kind of, kind of fucking delicious. And so, you know, we always tell you, you don't have to take our word for it. Go to the website, order some, and find out for yourself that, hey, that sliced biltong, that's a whole other world now. It is, dude. The, the sliced biltong is the way to go. And I would recommend also get the slab if you want to try that, where you can slice it yourself. That's insane as well. Those are my two favorite. They have a couple of other options as well. And you can see it all right now online at bruisebiltong.com. So check it out and make sure you use that promo code when you check out at JAM15, J-A-M-15 when you check out. You get 15% off your order every time at bruisebiltong.com. Podcast also made possible by JR doing that work on your cars, man. Freeway Tire Shop. If you are in the North Texas area, at some point you've got to take your vehicles to Freeway Tire Shop. I don't care how, you're like, oh, it's kind of far for me. I don't live in the downtown Dallas area. Cool. Then keep going to the place that you're going wondering if they're screwing you. Because when you drive into Freeway Tire Shop, you know you're trusting JR. He's going to do the work, and he stands behind it. And you don't get that anywhere like you do at Freeway. No, nah, bro. And that's why I rock with him. It's about a trust factor, man. You can trust him to diagnose what's wrong with your car, which is the most biggest and most important issue. Then you can trust him to use quality parts to fix it, bro. Then, and here's my personal favorite, you can trust him to charge you a fair price in a world where a whole lot of mechanics don't. And then, dog. Uh, JR and his crew, they stand behind their work. You can trust them to do that. To me, it doesn't get any better than that. It's a doctor for your car. You want the same thing with a doctor for your body. So, hey, take the short drive, five minutes north of downtown, get off of Commonwealth, tell him uh, the jam session sent you in. He'll take care of you even better, which is hard to believe, than his regular customers. That's very true. You can find them online. You can book an appointment. You can request a quote. It's freewaytireshop.com. As we move forward, and I know many of you, you wake up. This was a weird one. It's always the fallback weekend, which we did. So I, I, I see. I prefer fallback. Like if you have to change time, I just wish we never changed time. I, I would like yeah. to stay on whatever that time was that we have for eight months of the year, instead of the silly for four months of the year. We're going to change time. You hate it. I'll tell you this. Today we are recording this on Sunday. The sun will set for me in Birmingham today on November 6th at 4.50 this evening. That's why it's just dumb to me, bro. It's just stupid. And we will get to a point by the time we get in December where the sun is setting at around 4.30-ish. The sun sets at that time. I texted my brother because he's coming into town this week to visit us. I texted him and said, hey, this will be cool because he's never been here this time of year. Usually he comes like in the spring or summer. I was like, you're going to get to experience the sun going down at 4.50 in the evening. Dude, just shake your head about that. I mean, that's just so nuts. And, man, I, I, I don't know why in the, in the world in which we live today, I get why they originally designed daylight savings time and all this. I don't know why we need it anymore. We don't. 
That's why I should get away from it. Yeah, we need to just pick whatever you want us to be. No one likes this time. So when it changes again in March, just keep it that way for everybody all throughout the year. There's no need, we don't need to fall back anymore. And it's weird because this morning I woke up and I woke up way earlier than I normally do. I looked at the clock and I was like, dang, really? And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Because yesterday I would have woken up and it would have been whatever time. And that's when I normally wake up. Dude. I got to readjust. We're not a bunch of farmers these days. And there's no shade on farmers. But we're not a bunch of farmers these days. So we don't need extra time for plowing or this or that. Can we just stick to our regular time that makes everybody feel good because the sun is up till 7, 30, 8 o'clock? Yeah, man. And I mean, do farmers even need it anymore? No. I it's mean, all I, technology based. Yeah, I, I don't know why we need it anymore. Let's get rid of it. So everybody enjoy that and welcome to it getting darker earlier for the next four months. The other thing that I wanted to throw out and... I knew when Houston won in Philadelphia, when they won game five, you knew they were going to win game six in Houston. Philly was done. I'm actually surprised Philadelphia made it a series and and picked up the two wins, so good for them. But I will say this, and I'm not being facetious, congratulations to the Astros. They were the best team. There is no scandal attached to this one. It's a legitimate, real World Series title that they can celebrate. And I will say, it's easy to be happy for my Astros friends. I got a couple of guys in my fantasy league that I've known for years that grew up in Houston that are diehard Astros fans. You know, and, and it, it's cool to get them and see them be able to celebrate this moment and experience that knowing that this one is going to be one that doesn't have anything attached to it, that doesn't have the asterisk behind it and everybody going, come on, you didn't really win that other one. You know, and it's cool for guys like Elf, our buddy Mark Elfenbein, who, who still does a Sunday morning show with the ticket, big Astros fan. And I've got a couple other people that I know that are really hardcore Astros fans. And, you know, one of my friends last night was like, I'm crying. Like, this is so awesome. I was like, yeah, awesome, man. Enjoy it. You know, all I can say is enjoy it. I'm happy for those people. The rest of the Astros fans, I'm not happy for. Because I don't know you, and it sucks that the Astros have a title. But what can you do? They're, they've What the Astros have done in building that franchise and putting them consistently... I mean, this is their fourth World Series appearance in the last six years. They win the division every year. They're going to be good again next year. They have become, at least for the last maybe not close to a decade, but, but clo- well, yeah, close to a decade, they are one of the model franchises in Major League Baseball. Yeah, they tore it down, and they suffered, and uh, but they built it up, and they built it the right way. Um, and to me, it's hard to build it the right way in baseball because baseball has such a big misfactor in, in draft picks. But uh, they drafted high all those years in a row, and, dude, they, they hit on a bunch of guys. I mean, they missed on some, like yeah. Appel or Apple or however you yeah, say yeah. his name, the big pitcher from Stanford. But, uh, dude, they have put together something that's pretty damn impressive. They have. And you are in Houston because you were there with Jackson State, obviously. They played Texas Southern this weekend, which is in Houston. And somehow, some way, you got caught up in the Astros celebration on the streets of Houston. Bro, let me tell you something, man. It was wild. Now, let me tell you. I didn't have a lot of good choices. So... I was ex- I was expecting something, I, but I just didn't have a lot of good choices because I found this out about college football, which is a little different than the NFL, which I've spent most of my career. NFL, uh, the Cowboys play the Texans. 
the Texans ask their PR people, hey, how many parking passes you need? Well, normally we get 50 parking passes for these various people. So they send them 50. In college football, bro, hey, how many parking passes do you need? Oh, well, you know, we have these people coming, da-da-da-da-da. We need uh, 15. Okay. The other college will send you six. Jeez. <laughs> or, you know, something that doesn't come close to fulfilling what you need. Yeah. So here's my point. Driving to the game was not an option. All right. So getting there, not a big deal. You ride one of the team buses over, it's all good. So getting back, I'm like, well, the only real good way to get back is to catch an Uber. So my whole thing is hopefully, because the World Series, I think, started at 7, and the, the uh, Tennessee, the uh, Jackson State game started at 6. I was like, my only hope is that the game ends before the World Series ends so I don't get hit with those surge charges and all that traffic and I can get out. Yeah, good luck with that. Dude, the press conferences last so long after the game because college coaches just show up when they want to. Yeah. So it's like an hour after the game. Uh, we're just getting prime. <clears throat> and he finishes. And I'm, I'm talking to this guy named Chuck who uh, works on something called The T-H-E-E pregame show and if you want to know everything about Deion Sanders check that out on uh, YouTube so um, we're walking out to the bus and we get on the bus and the guys on the bus are looking at us like what are y'all doing on this bus mm. and we go hey y'all going back to the hotel first to do because sometimes they do they're like no we headed straight to the airport okay let's get off the bus <laughs> so now we're in the middle because the stadiums are literally like a couple blocks away from each other and, bro, the World Series has ended. The people have celebrated in the stadium, and now they have taken to the streets. And you know what this means. It means everybody's honking their horn and blowing yep. and having a great time. Going berserk. They're going berserk. Traffic is snarled. Streets are closed because police officers are trying to direct the traffic. So, dude, we started we, – first we tried to get an Uber near the PNC Stadium. That didn't work. Well, he had one, but he's like, well, we'll walk to you. But by the time we started walking there, the guy's like, cancel it, call another one. I'm out. Jeez, <laughs> man. So then we got another one. And so then I saw a Marriott Hotel in the skyline. I, so I asked Chuck, I go, I see this. Is this because Chuck lives in Houston? I go, is this close or is this far? Yeah. He goes, no, it's about a mile. <laughs> okay. I go, well, let's do it, man. Wow. Um, because we're not going to get an Uber over here. It's too much traffic, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But then we got over there to that Marriott downtown, but all the roads are closed. <laughs> and so to make a long story short, man, we probably ended up walking about two and a half miles. Um, and we finally caught a train back to a, back to a hotel because he was parked at the hotel before because he, he took the bus over for the same reason I did. Uh, but it was uh, it was madness, man. I put a couple of videos on Twitter last night just to show it. I think I sent you one this morning, and it was just a madhouse. Because uh, what's funny though is I was soaking it all in because I've never been, you know. Normally, if I'm as a reporter, you're in the midst, so you're never you're never with the crowd like that because you're where doing interviews, writing stories. Like when the Rangers did all this stuff, I was never in the celebration crowd with the fans. Yeah, man. Jeez. And so it was, I mean, bro, you want to talk about victory bringing people together. Sure. <laughs> Black, white, Hispanic, young, old. I mean, it was, uh, you know, 
preppies, punk rockers, gothic. <laughs> Everybody was hugging and kissing and loving on each other last night in Houston, bro. Yeah, that's the way it is, man. And, and obviously, we haven't had an opportunity to celebrate anything like that in Dallas in some time. But I vividly remember when the Stars won the Cup in 99, when the Mavs won their title in 2011. I mean, that's a really good way of describing it. Like, the, no prejudices. There, there's no, and I'm sure it happens so, somewhere, but... I mean, we went up when the Mavs won, we drove immediately to Academy Sports and Outdoors to try and get the Mavs championship T-shirts and stuff like that. And the line was like wrapped around the building and I'm running down the line, just high five and random strangers and people are honking and standing on cars and we're all chanting, you know, just it was it was incredible, you know, because you finally get to experience something like that. And it's been a long time. I, I don't know when it'll happen again in Dallas. The stars look really damn good this season. Obviously, if the Cowboys won a Super Bowl, I think that the party in Dallas would be insane. I mean, if the Cowboys win the Super Bowl, because it's been so long and there's so many people now who never got to experience or remember the 90s. I mean, the Rangers are popular and they've never won a World Series, but man, the Cowboys winning a Super Bowl might shut Dallas down for a day. Oh, you think? I mean, yeah, my all God. The, all these long-suffering uh, fans who haven't experienced anything close to that in almost 30 years, yeah, Dallas would go crazy. Yeah, that would be awesome. I and mean, that parade would just be absolutely epic. If it were to happen, if it were to happen. But the Astros, obviously, are going to get one. I couldn't imagine. that. The only time I've ever been stuck in something like that that I was not expecting was when we were in San Diego for my friend Nick's bachelor party. Man, this was a long-ass time ago. The night that we got there, and we were going to the Padres game the following night, but the night that we got there, the Giants played the Padres, and I want to say it was Tim Linscombe threw a no-hitter, and we were out in San, in San Diego. You know, we had nothing. We don't care about the Padres, whatever. We're just out there for him. And all of a sudden, like, these flood of people are just all over the street because they just witnessed a no-hitter. And that was really nuts because we were like, what's going on? Like, oh, Linscombe threw a no-hitter. And I'm, like, running up to random Giants fans, and I was like, special night. Spe and, like, all these random people are high-fiving me even though we didn't go to the game. It was crazy, man. But that was fun. I mean, that wasn't winning a championship, but still experiencing a no-hitter. And those people on the street, that was kind of wild. No, it was, uh, dude, it was, uh, you know, <laughs> it was really crazy. I mean, crazy. And then it was late at night, so um, there wasn't any place for people to go. It's not like bars and stuff stayed open. Uh, a lot of them had actually closed, and so it was just all these people in the streets, and it was that's yeah, crazy. I mean, it was just it was just wild, bro. It uh, sounds like I, it. I, I'll give them credit. It was a it was wild, but it was a fun, well behaved crowd. You know, sometimes people can start tripping because they're drunk, yeah, and acting a fool. But I didn't see anything. Um, it was just a wild scene, and it was like that the whole you know couple mile walk that uh, that we ended up taking. It was just uh, it was just insane. Yeah, and that's one of those things where I mean, generally speaking, I don't know that there's a lot of hate between Philadelphia and Houston in, in terms of baseball. So that's probably good that the Phillies fans were minding themselves. I don't know. It, it, it's it's always interesting. You know, you know what's interesting about that? I didn't see one person wearing a Philly you know jersey really i'm sure they were out there yeah they had to be obviously for sure but i literally i literally didn't see anybody bro it was all orange houston jerseys and gray houston jerseys yeah that's really rough man because i mean obviously we've we've been in scenarios where you've seen your team lose and the other team win and it can be really strange i, I mean when the when the devils won the cup in 2000 and they did it in dallas 
or obviously like when the Rangers lost the World Series those couple of times. I mean, it is such a weird like I remember when the Rangers lost the World Series. I mean, there were Cardinals fans around us celebrating and like we we were so dejected. I don't recall even like realizing I wasn't angry. I was just more sad for myself. So I, maybe that plays into it where you, you wonder when are we going to get here again and that type of sadness is the fan of the losing team where you're not even angry or mad at the other team and you're not pissed at their fans. They're just, I just remember being in like a weird funk and barely realizing people were around me. Yeah, there may have been some of that because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're really emotionally invested like that, it's, a, it's yeah. a bitter pill whether you're a player or whether you're a fan. Yeah, it's rough, man. It is really, really rough when your team loses like that, especially the, the one for the Rangers that we will not bring up. And even like I remember when the Rangers lost in 2010 to the Giants, I didn't even care. I wasn't even upset. I was like, man, I can't believe we made the World Series. This is awesome. Like, I had zero thought that we would win the World Series. It was the next year that really that one, geez, you never get past that one. No, people ain't past it now, you know. Yeah, you can't. It's impossible to get past that one. One strike away two or three different times. You know, the the range of emotions because when – when Josh hits that homer in the tenth, you think, okay, yeah. we gave it up, but now we we really are going to win it. You know, it was a, it was a great World Series though, but it just didn't have the right winner. No, it didn't, and it's unfortunate that a fan base that had already known what it's like to win one got another one, and and that always sucks to see. But man, you look at this, look at the Astros seasons. I mean, this is just insane. So you got to go all the way back in 2014. They were 70 and 92. From 2011, 2012, and 2013, they won 56, 55, and 51 games and lost well over 100 each of those three years. Then they went 70 and 92. Since then, 86 wins, 84, 101, 103, 107. I'll skip the COVID year. 95, 106, two World Series championships, and four World Series appearances. I mean, what do you say? And that's a lot of 100-win seasons. It Those is. things are hard to do, bro. I mean, it is. <laughs> it's hard to do. And then to finish it out, because, you know, some teams are built for the regular season, but then they're still winning in the playoffs. Yeah, man, and, and it's a franchise that all of a sudden you look at and, you, you, yeah, there's jealousy. You wish that the Rangers had structured themselves to have a window like this where they were that competitive at that level for as long as the Astros have been, and they're not. And what's really wild about this is the Astros, because of their run the last few years, they have taken themselves from a franchise that was all-time well below 500. They are now all-time in their franchise history, 11 games over 500 because of their success in the last few seasons. Think about that because they sucked as the Colt 45s back in the day. Yeah. And uh, really as the, as the Astros up until they had that run with – Mike Scott and Nolan for a while, but yeah, in the eighties, you know, yeah. yeah, they just had splashes of success, not like real success like they got now. Yeah, man, it is just it's wild, and all we can do as Rangers fans is hope that they are about to maybe open the door for their own type of success as a team that is right now the Texas Rangers. When you look just at the Rangers and this doesn't include the Senators, just the Rangers, since they've been a baseball franchise in Arlington, they are currently about 100 and, well, no, they are currently about 180 games below 500 all time. Wow. So maybe they can turn it around, and a decade from now we'll be like, man, look at that last decade for the Rangers. 
Let's hope so, bro. You never know. I can tell you something that's going to make you feel good, though, guys. And that, of course, is when you put in an order for your Thanksgiving turkey from Smokey John's Barbecue. And that's one of those things. Again, smoked turkeys are in short supply, so they've got some different options. You can check them out on their Instagram, Smokey John's Barbecue. Look up what they've got. They are also doing a turkey discount this year. And the last day to order the discount turkey is coming up on November 11th. They're, it's, a, it's a turkey that they are selling right now at $74.95. That's $15 off if you order it before the end of the week, before Friday, November the 11th. If you're looking for your turkey for Thanksgiving, check it out at Smokey John's. And then, of course, they also have some other options if you miss out on that or you're looking for something else. I mean, they've got full meals. You can order your full Thanksgiving meal with Smokey John's. They've got small option. They've got a large opt-in, different smoked meats and all that type of stuff. So check it out. It'll be on their website later this week. Look at them on their Instagram and their social media, and you can find all those holiday specials. Because I know a lot of people, they go that route where they'll order the full Thanksgiving meal. And if you're going to go that route, I would put in your order right now with Smokey John's because they're the guys yeah. to go with. Number one, you know the food's going to be delicious. Yeah. And two, you know, not everybody wants to spend the whole day standing in front of a stove or standing around a stove or messing with a turkey, especially if, if that ain't your specialty and you haven't done one in the past. So, yeah, yeah let Smokey John's take that pressure off you. Let them serve you Thanksgiving dinner. You know that way it's going to be fantastic. Yeah, for instance, they've got one that feeds 12 people. It's $189.95. It includes a smoked turkey or bone-in ham, dressing and graving, cranberry sauce two sides of your choice that are two quarts each two pies you can pick pecan or sweet potato and a dozen dinner rolls i mean you're talking about serving your entire family coming over and they've got some other options as well so check them out it's smokyjohns.com and don't forget about the jam session bowl if you just want to swing by at smoky john's barbecue but again make sure if you're looking for that smoked turkey short supply the discount on the turkey runs out this friday so make sure you get your order in with smoky john's barbecue also of course aaron and his guys over there at hfx foundation solutions we all know man with the summer that you went through in the north texas area it's rough. It messes up your foundation. If you're starting to see cracks in your walls and your ceiling, you notice that some doors that earlier this year were opening just fine and are now kind of sticking, I'd give a call immediately to HFX Foundation Solutions. It's a free, no obligation inspection, man. And foundation, you don't want to mess with that. Nah, bro. Pick up the phone and give me a call. We like to call, call it a colonoscopy for your crib. So, you know, you call HFX, ask, tell Aaron and his folks, yo, I need a colonoscopy for my crib. They know exactly what you're talking about. And all that stuff Matt said, hey, you ain't trying to worry about that. Best thing is if you get it checked out early, if there is an issue, it's going to cost a fraction of what it would um, if you wait till later. So, you know, don't wait for stage four. Get it, get it checked out now. Give Aaron and his team a call. It's easy to do. It's 817-770-0174. You can find them online as well at hfxfoundation.com. And don't, don't forget, it's not just your foundation. If you've got some needs with drainage problems on your property, gutter installations, they handle all that as well. hfxfoundation.com. College football had a wild-ass weekend. A wild-ass weekend. As a matter of fact, we saw Alabama lose on the road at LSU. We saw Clemson lose on the road to Notre Dame. That is the first time that Alabama and Clemson have lost on the same day since 2013. And Alabama has now picked up two losses before Thanksgiving for the first time since 2010. 
you know, I've been, they just haven't, I mean, let me put this in perspective. They're still a terrific program. They just don't have that air of greatness about them this year that I'm used to seeing. And, you know, that's why I haven't really been on them like I would, just because they don't look the part to me. Um, you know, and I think it's been proven because we haven't seen it. Yeah, and, and they their road struggles go back to last year. And for whatever reason, it's really interesting. They had two kids transferring at wide receiver. One of them has barely played due to injury. The other one, everybody, Jermaine Burton comes in from Georgia, and everybody, oh, okay, they'll replace Mechie and Williamson, or Williams, excuse me, and some of the other guys they've had. They don't have a go-to receiver. Their leading receiver is their running back, Jameer Gibbs. And they haven't really been able to figure out how to use him their play calling has been really strange and it's basically like their whole offense is Bryce Young and they don't have as good as Will Anderson is they don't have that guy on defense who is who's like that emotional like dog like they they don't have that you know what I mean like they don't have that guy who's just going to grab some dude's face mask and get everybody on the same page that they've had defensively in years past and their defense has shown some holes. I mean, hell, they allowed LSU to go right down the field to tie the game last night, and then in overtime, first play, Jaden Daniels, 25 yards, touchdown. No, it's uh, to me, Alabama has always been about defense. You know, since Nick Saban's been around, yes, they've had explosive offenses. Yes, they've had fantastic offensive players and running backs and receivers and linemen and all that. But if you say, what's Nick Saban's trademark? To me, it's always been defense. And so, you know, they just don't look like the same type of um, defensive team this year. And to me, that's created, you know, most of their problems. And I'm, obviously I'm talking about against yeah. the best teams. And see, and when I say it like that, you know, it's, the question is always, well, yeah, I'm splitting hairs because they're a great program. But, like, what was the score, Matt? They were up, like, 23 to nothing against Arkansas, but they end up winning 49-26. Um, the point being, a typical Alabama team, when they're up 23 nothing, they win 49-3 to Yeah. to me. You know, Allen, you know, A&M is no good this year. A&M took them to the wire. Yep. You know, 49 points against Tennessee. Well, you saw what Georgia did to Tennessee's offense. Um, you know, Texas, you know, they, they barely beat Texas, and Texas is okay. But Texas shouldn't be playing with Ala- the no. Alabama that we know. Yeah, not at all, no. Yeah, so when you just look at all of that, no, nah, I didn't think they'd lose to LSU because I didn't think LSU was that good this year. Well, I, I, I mean, uh, I, I wasn't really that surprised just because their road struggles, man. I mean, they the, the one thing that really jumps out about Alabama this year is they don't have anything explosive on offense. They don't have that guy you fear, which it's been forever since that's happened to this team. And they're, they're very undisciplined. They make a lot of mistakes – you know, they had nine penalties last night. They had a horrible pass in the end zone that LSU picked off on Bryce Young. That A&M game, they missed two field goals and turned it over four times. 15 penalties against Texas, 17 penalties against Tennessee. They, they just make mistakes that you you don't see Nick Saban teams make. And that, that like, the one thing that jumps out to me of their nine games this season is that, and it, it's weird. Yeah, what's your explanation? I don't know. And everybody's been trying to figure that out. There seems to be, who knows, some lack of focus. I, I, I don't know what the answer is. And obviously the coaching staff doesn't. If they could, they would pinpoint it and figure it out. I mean, again, that's an Alabama team that had a week. Both LSU and Bama had buys. Bama had a buy. 
to prepare for what they were going to see and give up 32 points and, and couldn't stop LSU when they needed to. Yeah, that's a that's a tough thing to swallow. So yeah, they're they're out of it this year, it seems to me. And so uh, we'll yeah, they're out of the playoff. Out, we'll see who comes out of SEC West. Is it going to be uh, LSU? Is it uh, you know? It's going to be. Miss- I mean, there would have to be LSU would have to lose to Arkansas and A and M, and Ole Miss would have to beat Bama for them to be able to jump back up into this. It, it would be, which could happen. I mean, there's some, some things that can happen. But it should be, it'll be Georgia against LSU for the SEC championship. Georgia winning yesterday, they're going, they're in the playoff. Even if they lose the SEC title game, they will be in the playoff. I thought what we saw from Georgia yesterday, they're the best team in the country. I'm starting to wonder a little bit about Ohio State. And I know I watched that game. The weather in Evanston yesterday was disgusting. It was sheets of rain, 50 mile an hour wind gusts. You couldn't pass. But, man, Ohio State has really struggled on the ground in the last couple of weeks. And that's going to be a fascinating game against Michigan. Now, I see, like, um, I think Michigan has an edge right now because, to me, and this is the, this is the way I look at Ohio State when I look at the games. I don't really look at the scores because I figure they, they got more talent, so they win most weeks. Um, but I know how I know what their opponent is if, if, if it's Michigan – what did Michigan do against Penn State? Then they run the ball like fifty times for four hundred yards. Yeah, and so, like, and that's why when they go play Georgia or if they go play, you know, a traditional Alabama team, they get smoked because you can't line up, have an anemic passing attack, and just say, "Oh, we're just going to line up in two backs and play right. nineteen eighty football." Uh, but it can work in uh, you know the way they're doing it. So I, I only look at whether Ohio State is physical enough to stand up to them. Um, you know, and their offensive line played well early. They haven't yeah. played well lately. And uh, they still got time to figure it out, but time is running out. <laughs> yeah, so it is. The Michigan game will be very, very basic. It'll be stop the run, run the ball, because um, if Ohio State can run the ball and you have to pay attention to that, then you can't mess with their receivers. Although, I think they've been hamstrung a little bit. Oh, no pun intended. Uh, because Jackson, uh, yeah. you know, in big in Jigba hasn't played. Really, I think he's played two games and caught maybe five passes this year. Yep, it's been very uh, unfortunate for him. You know, so when he's out there and everybody drops down a level, you really have no chance. Uh, but he hadn't played. And they got two really good running backs, but I don't think they've both played in the same game. Yeah, Henderson didn't play yesterday. In about a month. Yeah. Uh, because again, when they're both playing, it presents a different challenge for you. So they got to get all that cleaned up. But um, you know, to me, it's all about their run defense. If they can't stop the run, or they can't hold Michigan to you know a reasonable running total, they're going to have a long day. Yeah, this is going to be. It, it's really interesting because it opens the door for some new teams in the college football playoff, which I think is great. Alabama is not going to be in it. Georgia will be in it. The winner of Ohio State, Michigan, will be in it. Clemson's loss hurts them, but if they run the table and win the ACC, they would be a 12-1 and conference champion. Oregon, the door is very much open for, and if they can run the table and finish as a 12-1 and Pac-12 conference champion, that's interesting. TCU has to win out. They have to. If they lose, there's no way in hell they're getting into the playoff. Somehow, someway, they continue coming from behind. They continue winning these games by 10 or fewer points. They're not dominating anybody but they're not losing 
Now, they're going to be in Austin this upcoming weekend. They will go on the road against Texas. Texas looked really good in a tough road environment and finally figured out a way to pull one out on the road against K-State yesterday. And, man, they tried to let it go. They tried to Texas that thing where they were up. And I I said at halftime, I go, thank God we're up 21 because if we're up 14, they're losing this game. (laughs) And they would have. If they were only up 14, they would have lost. But they, and they only scored three points in the second half, but they held on. And I think that type of finally you got a road win. You beat a team that was ranked 13th in the country that was ahead of you. And you finally went on the road and got a conference win. That's a type of win for a team like Texas that's young that can vault them to start having a little bit more confidence. It's just a process, man. It takes mm-hmm. time uh, to learn how to win, to get that infectious winning attitude throughout your program. And... Let me give you the cold, hard reality of it is you got to run some guys off and play those guys that you run off with the kind of athletes and kind of attitude that you want. And it takes time. You can't do it all in one season. And college game day will be in Austin this week for the second time this year as 9-0 and TCU. And make no mistake about it, Horn Frog listeners, you have to win out. You have to. The committee basically told you that last week in the rankings. They don't believe in TCU. They're not fans of all these close wins. Now, obviously, if you're undefeated, you get in. But you got to be undefeated, and they're going to play. And this is what's interesting about TCU. They've had some weird struggles. They're a better team than Texas Tech. That game should have never been close. You're at home. Well, we didn't have our top wide receiver. Okay, well, so not having your top wide receiver makes you human because you're not at you don't have that depth and this is interesting because i'm of the belief if if tcu ends up making the playoff they will get smoked in the first round because they'll play a georgia tennessee still has a very good chance to get into this thing they just don't have i mean watching them yesterday i was like man this team how is this team undefeated i don't know but they are no i mean you know i at a certain point, you just are what you are. And, uh, you know, like my man Dan Wolken has been basically ripping Ohio State for the last 24 hours because they struggled with Northwestern. And that's okay, but at one level, it's really irrelevant. Why? Because Ohio State and Michigan play. Yeah. Um, so Correct. there's no need to rip TCU or talk about this or that because ultimately if you run the table in the big 12 you deserve to be in the championship because big 12 is a good league it's not a great league but it's enough good teams in there that if you run the table you should get credit for it yeah i mean if, if you go undefeated this ain't, the a, sun, this ain't the sun belt no if you go undefeated in a power five you're getting into the playoff what's interesting for tcu is their final three games of the season are against three of the top four defenses in the big 12 believe it or not iowa state baylor and texas are three of the top four defenses in the big 12 So I'll be curious to see if they are able when they are finally playing, and it's not like these are elite level defenses or anything, but that's what the best of the Big 12 has to offer. Can they continue doing it? We shall see because they're going to have to win their final three games, and then they're going to have to win a rematch against whoever they play in the Big 12 title game. They cannot lose. Tennessee is interesting because they got handled. I mean, they just got shut down against Georgia. But the thing with Tennessee is – if they went out and they're sitting there at 11 and 1, will the committee look at them and say, because this happened to Alabama in 2017, Alabama didn't play in their conference title game and still got into the playoff. Would the committee look at a one loss 11 and 1 Tennessee team and say, your only loss was on the road to the number one team in the country and look at some of the wins they've had throughout the course of the season? Tennessee still very much has a chance to sneak into the playoff. There's no doubt about that. 
This is going to be interesting. Huh. I mean, they're in the SEC. I think if they continue to win out, that they'll be in there because nobody's going to punish you that much for a right. losing to a, uh, the uh, defending national championship at their house. Yep, that's exactly right, man. So th- I think it's cool. I- I'm not buying that Clemson is going to finish with one loss, which would eliminate the ACC. So we-, we really may have a playoff that is Georgia, TCU, Tennessee, Oregon, which would be really cool because we haven't seen Oregon in the playoff in some time. And obviously TCU and Tennessee have never made it. I think it's fun when there's new blood in the playoff. That That's one of the reasons why I'm excited to see the expansion of the playoff. I like it when you have that type of opportunity for some of these schools that don't get in. You know, you slip up once, but you're you're still a really, really good team. This is going to be an interesting final three weeks of the regular season as we move forth towards the end of college football already, believe it or not. Hell yeah. So that's our podcast, my friends, on the Cowboys bye week Sunday. We will be back with you. We got a couple of episodes, of course, coming later on this week. And, I mean, believe it or not, man, we'll start looking ahead to Green Bay. We'll start looking ahead to see where are these Cowboys going to wind up these final nine weeks of the season with their next two games at Green Bay, at Minnesota, and then, of course, home for three in a row against the Giants, the Colts, and the Texans as they get set to move into December. I actually think it's cool. I was just looking at this. They get the Giants at home on Thanksgiving this year, and that might be a matchup between two teams that are 8-2. and two. How about that? That'd, That'd be, be kind of cool. cool for a Thanksgiving Day game against a divisional rival. You don't get many of those because the Giants are on their <laughs> bye this weekend too, and then when they come out of the bye, they get the Texans and the Lions at home. Hmm. So very likely that they're going to be an 8-2 and two Giants team coming into AT&T Stadium on Thanksgiving Day. We'll see. Everybody have a great week. We appreciate you guys, and we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle, so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.